here on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, it's 10 minutes, or excuse me, it's 6 minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock. Uh, hour number two underway on this free fall Friday, the 23rd morning of the fourth month. I, um, I want to share this with you because it's very important to me. Um, last night I filled in for Larry Elder. And I uh, had the pleasure of interviewing Heather McDonald. I've had her on this program in the past. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. But um, Heather McDonald is a fellow with the Manhattan Institute who is just a, um, a, a, an encyclopedia of statistics. She studies police-involved shootings, police-involved uh, activity with uh, blacks, police-involved activity with whites, uh, everything that you can imagine. This is her area of expertise. She is tired of the big lie. She is tired of this country being torn apart right down uh, the, the middle, torn apart at the seams, rather, uh, by race over f- in, just incorrect fictional information. This was a very important interview to me, and I think it will be to you. Take these facts and share them with other people. It's the only way we are going to try to or be able to try to... Um, to counteract the big lie is to tell the big truth. Listen, please. I want to pivot now and talk about the national scale of the, you know, the anger and the divisiveness that is being fostered and fomented by leaders at the very top of the government between the far left leadership in government and in uh, the mainstream media. It's almost impossible for us to not be divided and for us to not believe that there is a very severe and potentially you know, deadly conflict coming between races in this country. Yesterday, Joe Biden took the occasion of the conviction of Derek Chauvin to recycle his favorite white supremacy themes from his allegedly unifying inaugural speech and campaign rhetoric. I'm quoting Heather McDonald now in a piece she wrote for the City Journal. Floyd's murder ripped the blinders off of the whole world, off of the whole world to see the systemic racism that is a stain on our nation's soul, the knee on the neck of justice for black Americans, the profound fear and trauma, the pain, the exhaustion that black and brown Americans experience every single day, Biden said from the White House. The summer of protest had sent the message, according to Biden, enough, enough, enough of the senseless killings. Again, those were the words of Heather McDonald as she tried to shine the light of truth on all of this. And uh, that is, you know, the exact opposite of what Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and so many others in the far left reaches uh, of our government uh, are doing right now. Uh, I asked Heather McDonald to come on and talk to us about this, about the reality of the big lie. And uh, I'm very pleased to welcome her to the program now. Heather McDonald, fellow with the Manhattan. Institute, author of the best-selling The War on Cops, and her latest book is The Diversity Delusion. Heather, thank you for joining us on The Larry Elder Show. How are you? Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Bob. It's great to be with you again. It's a pleasure to talk with you always. You bring so much information and so many facts to these conversations that people just cannot that cannot defeat with their emotions. Let's start with what I just read from your piece in the City Journal, in which Joe Biden declared that the you know, the conviction of Derek Chauvin actually proves that not only policing, but this country overall is systemically racist. That black and brown people just do not have a shot in this country on a daily basis. They're looking over their shoulders. They're always you know, fearing for their lives because of the systemic racism of this country. How do you respond to that? Bob, if you're suggesting that Biden is engaged in a logical incoherence, shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. It's unbelievable. The very fact you have the entire state of Minnesota's bar, private bar and government determined to convict Chauvin, uh, whether rightly or wrongly, you know, we'll leave that aside. You had an entire 
national establishment uh, claiming that this was, in fact, a racist murder, and you had uh, Chauvin now going to be locked away, you know, possibly for, for most of his remaining life, and yet we're still supposed to believe that the system is biased against blacks. It is a narrative that is utterly impervious to facts. I, I turn on CNN and MSNBC every day, and I just my mouth hangs open at the uh, just shamelessness with which people are denying the reality. Let's just start with something more limited than this blanket, universal indictment of white supremacy. Let's look at the policing charges. The fact of the matter is, is that policing today is driven by one thing, and that's crime rates. As long as black crime remains as elevated as it is, at sometimes 20 to 50 times higher uh, rates of commission of violent street crime in cities, whether it's New York or Chicago, compared to whites, the police are going to be more often in black neighborhoods interacting with violent armed and resisting suspects. That is what determines officer use of force. It is not skin color. It is the incidence of crime, and it is not allowed to talk about that. And Heather, um, when you talk about, you know, the officers being in these neighborhoods, um, these high crime neighborhoods, it's not because they're just going there for kicks. They're being called there. And who are they being called there? Who are all of these 911 calls and then thus these radio calls uh, to, to be sent officers into these high crime areas? Who are they coming from? Absolutely. The officers hope against hope that for once when they get there, uh, they will be given the description of a black, of a white suspect. It almost never happens. But the callers, the victims and the witnesses are themselves overwhelmingly black. Uh, in New York City, for example, blacks are 23% of the population. They commit about three-quarters of all shootings. How do we know that? It's not the police that are making these up. It's the victims of and witnesses to these insane, retaliatory, mindless, grotesque drive-by shootings who are themselves overwhelmingly black. And yet, today, there's an op-ed by a professor at, at an Ohio law school just outright denying uh, that the, there's a higher black crime rate. The bodies speak for themselves. Blacks die of homicide at 13 times the rate uh, between the ages of 10 and 43 of whites and Hispanics combined. 13 times the rate. You, the bodies do not lie. Those, those, those black homicide victims are not being killed by the cops. They're not being killed by whites. They're being killed by other blacks. And yet we, we brush that under the rug because it is so important to destroy this country by tearing down every institution by calling those institutions white or by calling individuals white. As I say in the piece, I give the name White House about another year. Uh, you can ask your viewers, you know, to have a sort of a, a contest to rename it. Somebody suggested the George Floyd House. Uh, we'll see, but, but it's not going to be, believe me, because to be called white today is to be have a scarlet letter of shame and guilt painted on you. Well, you know, Heather, we're talking with Heather McDonald. She is the uh, uh, she is a fellow, rather, at the Manhattan Institute, the author of the best-selling "The War on Cops." Your your latest book is um, "The Diversity Delu Delusion," and that's defined as the belief that underrepresented ideological, gender, and racial minorities are victims of interminable oppression and emotional trauma, most often on college campuses. So let's go bigger picture here than just crime rates um, and the belief that that black and brown people have to run for their lives every 
time to go to the grocery store because of the racist cops and racist white people out there. Um, that's only part of the diversity delusion. Tell us the rest of it. Well, it's hilarious. I mean, this whole safetyism ethic we're getting now of people saying I'm so fragile, you know, the newspaper room reporters in their newsrooms having editors fired because running an op-ed, you know, Tom Cotton's op-ed on a military response to the riots is just puts them at lethal risk of their lives. This begins in the campus. Uh, several years ago, you had black Princeton students chanting, saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, a phrase first used by Fannie Lou Hammer, who is a child of a sharecropper, Growing up, she was beaten, you know, trying to vote. For any student at Princeton to say, oh, I'm, I'm so exhausted by my oppression is ludicrous. But this narcissistic self-pity and, and, and believing that one is a victim and at risk of one's life it has, has jumped out of the academy. It drives a lot of the coronavirus response as well. Uh, and and it, is, it, is, it is a joke. And yet... The mainstream establishment takes it seriously. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, I think it's a feminized culture that's coming out of the university, taking over our institutions, that is risk-averse. Uh, you know, we see the complete betrayal of any kind of rational policymaking when it comes to coronavirus, but it all begins uh, with the race narrative. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that Americans turn their eyes away from that dysfunctional inner-city culture that is not universal. Of course, as you say, Bob, the people who want the police are the good, hard-working, bourgeois, law-abiding residents of inner-city neighborhoods who beg for more police protection. I have never been to a police community meeting in central Harlem, south-central L.A., south Chicago, where I've heard people say, we have too many cops. Instead, it's always, we want more cops, we want more enforcement, get the dealers off the streets. Their voices are ignored by the mainstream media. Well, that's the reason I asked you that question earlier, because here in Cleveland, where I live, um, they had a record number of homicides last year, despite population being some 300,000 less than it was 25 years ago. And over 90% of the calls that come into 911 asking for police are coming from African-Americans, and they are being menaced by other African-Americans. So, you know, I don't know what the, the, the uh, uh, op-ed that you mentioned in an Ohio paper to, or from an Ohio professor says, but you cannot deny those statistics. Uh, Heather McDonald. I've got a lot more for you. I'm going to ask you to hold on for us during this break, or actually we'll get right back in touch with you, and we'll continue with Heather McDonald from the Manhattan Institute as we continue on the Larry Elder Show. All right, so obviously this is my conversation from the Larry Elder Show last night. Heather was kind enough during this break uh, to send me the letter that she was talking about, the op-ed from the professor that she was talking about. I'll have something to say about that as well. And part two of my interview with Heather McDonald will come right after this. Okay, it's 1022. I want to give you now part two of my interview last night on the Larry Elder Show with Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute. And we are talking with Heather McDonald. Heather McDonald is 
a fellow with the Manhattan Institute. She is an expert uh, in this area. She has been studying and crunching federal crime statistics as well as state and city crime statistics for many, many years. And that's why uh, she had such a phenomenal bestseller called The War on Cops a few years ago. Her latest book is The Diversity Delusion. And Heather, thank you for staying with us for another segment. I often on my radio program refer to your Prager University video that you did a few years ago in which you also kind of talked about some of those numbers. I want to play a short clip of that and ask you if this is still accurate. In 2014, over 6,000 blacks were murdered, more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined. Who is killing them? Not the police and not white civilians, but other blacks. In fact, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. If the police ended all use of lethal force tomorrow, it would have a negligible impact on the black death by homicide rate. Heather McDonald, that uh, stat that you quoted in that PragerU video from a few years ago, is that always stuck with me. Is that still accurate? 18 and a half more times likely that a police officer will be killed by a black suspect than an unarmed black person will to be killed uh, by an officer. Sometimes the ratio is 30 times. It's, it's between 18 oh and a half and 30 times. What's not accurate in that PragerU video anymore is by now, uh, then, then it was 6,000 blacks are killed every year. Last year, we're probably going to have about 8,500 blacks who are killed because last year, thanks to the rioting, the the further uh, demeaning and disparaging and hatred directed at cops, the U.S. saw the largest percentage increase in homicide in the nation's history, and the victims are, again, overwhelmingly black, including four dozen black children who were gunned down in their beds in their front porches at the barbecues uh, in, at birthday parties last year by these insane drive-by shootings that have never been protested. None of those black children uh, have ever had their names said by a Black Lives Matter activist. How much blame do you ascribe, Heather McDonald, to the media for all of this? You know, the narrative, the big lie, the diversity delusion, and the fact, the idea that, that blacks and browns, uh, brown people are, are, are under so much more oppression and so much more likely to be, to be taken out by police. Because all of the statistics you quoted for us in the last segment, along with the one that you just told us now, I feel like if they were on CNN every night or on MSNBC and on the major networks, um, I, I feel like if people knew the truth here, we could end some of this. Why is there no intention on the part of the media to, to broadcast the truth that you're talking about with these numbers? Well, yes, the media are absolutely complicit in this. So is uh, academia. So is more and more mainstream institutions. Uh, they are left-wing. They are the products of the academy themselves. They are committed to the narrative of enduring white supremacy. And the rest of America, I think, is just terrified that the, the academic skills gap, the crime gap, is never going to close. And so they are preemptively putting out there the only allowable explanation for ongoing racial disparities, which is white racism. Nobody has the courage. They somehow feel it is improper uh, and may lead to improper conclusions to be honest about the dysfunctional inner city culture that is killing blacks at a rate, as I say, 13 times higher than whites. Um, 
that's an astounding statistic in and of, it, of itself. Heather, the, uh, the gentleman whose program I'm hosting tonight, Larry Elder, one of his catchphrases is, we've got a country to save. And I love that. I love coming on and doing his show and joining in that effort. But I have to tell you, sometimes I get dispirited and I feel like it's beyond saving. And the reason why is some of what you're talking about. Police cannot be police. Police are afraid to go into areas and be active anymore. It's going to lead to more deaths. As you said, the vast majority of them will be minorities. And I just talked to two police officers who were members of the FOP an hour ago, and I asked them, if you had it to do over again, would you get into it now, if you were age 22 and starting starting out? And they said, absolutely not. We, we, we've got people retiring at extraordinary rates. We've got academy classes that are empty. Nobody wants to be a cop anymore. So how do we, we resolve all of this? How do we save the country, as Larry says, when we, we, cannot, we cannot rely on a police force anymore? Well, we are playing with fire. I mean, the riots that we saw, and, and we all know that, the, that 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 jury was under enormous pressure to convict. If, if there had not been convictions on all three counts, the, the America's cities would have burned to the ground. And that is going to be the truth. That is going to be the case now with any police officer in the future who is who is indicted for use of force. So that is a further disincentive for people to go into the profession and if they're there to be proactive we're not going to get any more police officers but it's it's worse than that i mean the the justification for rioting and anarchy we are playing with fire we sort of think everything's going to come out okay it's not uh you cannot excuse the social animosity of people burning down police precincts looting stores and yet Again, America is unwilling to have a single standard of behavior. It is so terrified of being called a racist that it makes excuses all the time for bad black behavior, which does not do blacks any favor. And there's thousands of blacks who say, no, you know, we believe that we should all live up to the same bourgeois norms, but, but the, in, the country at large is not, is not willing to do that. And, if, if this anarchy continues, it's not going to stop until white children start getting shot. And, and the, the crime is spreading out of the inner city via carjackings. You have people, whites, to be honest, you know, that are getting dragged in their cars in Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. That's going to spread. When these drive-by shootings start spreading, that may get the attention of establishment whites. It's also going to lead to an even greater white flight from cities. Uh, you know, they're not going to stay around and build communities and be diverse together. Uh, it, it's assumed that sort of, well, those drive-by shootings, that's something that happens to blacks, but we're not going to care about it until it happens to us. But, but until then, this left-wing media that reports declare about black lives, it's all BS. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement is BS. I hear people now every day shedding crocodile tears about, oh, they're killing us every day, and why do we have to bury another black child? They have never shed a tear over these black kids that are killed. It's all hypocrisy. And I will say this as well, Bob. The sense that people have that we're in an epidemic of racially biased police shootings of black males is an optical illusion. It is based on precisely that selective press that you decry. They, the press only covers police shootings of blacks. There are twice as many whites who were shot fatally by the cops. If the, if the media covered those exclusively, we think we're in an epidemic of police shootings of whites. This is completely a media creation that has no connection to reality. There were 18 unarmed blacks 
fatally shot last year by the police. That represents 0.2%. Of the 8,500 blacks who were killed, and I can't even do the math on what percentage it represents of the 40 million black Americans in this country. Best evidence of the point you just made is of uh, of the, the, the twice as many whites that were shot as blacks. Name one of them. Most people cannot name one white name, but you can name almost all of the black names because they get all of the coverage, unfortunately. Heather McDonald, thank you. Thank you, Rob. All right, that was my conversation with Heather McDonald on the Larry Elder Show last night. We'll get news now and come right back on AM 1420, The End. Okay, 1036 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, I hope you appreciated the uh, conversation I had with Heather McDonald. If you heard it live last night on uh, Larry Elder Show, when I sat in for Larry, uh, or if you just heard it for the first time here, don't lose it. Save it. Download the podcast. This is why we do the po- uh, the uh, podcasting, so that any interview that you may miss, any set of statistics or facts or segments that I do that are important for other people to know, you can always download and save on your phone or whatever device that you wish. So just make sure you find at the end of the show today, whkradio.com. Go to the podcast page, drop down to Bob France and, and save that stuff. Because, you know, I talked about this after the interview yesterday when I did this live with Heather. You know, all of those statistics that she quoted, if they were put on the television screen, on mainstream media, and in social media, everywhere, constantly, it would end the lie, and it would end the narrative that has divided us and that is going to destroy this country. It would end it. And since they won't put it on, the only thing we can do is share it ourselves, face-to-face, or, like I said, you know, email account to email account, send that podcast link, send those statistics, write them down for yourself to people, and send them to as many people as possible. It's the only way. It's the only chance that we have. All right. Uh, this is normally the time of the week at 1035. We talk with former Ohio House Representative Christina Hagan. But Christina's busy today. She's got family things to do. She offered me a fill-in. I said, well, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm game. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hear the pitch. Who do you got? And she said, my dad. <laughs> I said, oh, really? John Hagan Sr. happens to be a member of the State Board of Education as well as a former member of the Ohio House of Representatives for eight years, four years of that time, serving as chairman of the House Public Utilities Committee. And uh, she said, my dad would love to talk about critical race theory in Ohio schools, particularly as it is being handled in the Ohio Board or on the Ohio Board of Education. And I said, sold. So joining us now is John Hagan Sr., member of the Ohio State Board of Education. Good morning, sir. How are you? I, I'm well, Bob. How about yourself? I'm Is great. The show's you know, going well? The show's going very well. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that's a heck of a daughter you raised. She is, a, she is a phenomenal thinker, and I love having her on every week because, you know, what started What started it is I just, I'm a Facebook friend of hers, and she is so active and so articulate and so poignant in all of the commentary that she makes about these issues facing our state and our country right now. I said we got to have her on. So uh, kudos to you, uh, wonderful family, and uh, and uh, Christina does just a terrific job with us. Well, needless to say, she's very sharp, and uh, we're fortunate that this is a radio show because uh, you know from from a look standpoint, you would have her uh, any time of the day uh, versus me. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's she's uh, not just not just prettier than me, but she's uh, 
uh, quite a bit smarter than me. So you'll just have to settle today. <laughs> well, I'll let you guys uh, debate. I'll let you guys debate who's smarter in your own house. But uh, you're right. If this were a television show, yes, I would certainly uh, be better served to have her on. She's uh, she's a beautiful woman and obviously an extraordinarily intelligent woman. We love talking to her, and I love talking to you too, John. I want to. Uh, I want the first thing that she sent me, which uh, you know, when I said give me the picture about why I should your dad. First of all, uh, I wasn't really aware that you were on the Ohio State board. That's my uh, 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 fault because I do know a few members on that state board. But I said, give me more. What did, what do you have here? And what she sent me was very very important here, and that is um, the uh, uh, quote that you had at the beginning of uh, the lawsuit that was that was uh, uh, introduced in order to essentially shine the light on your quote, and I'm looking for it right now as I speak as it seems to have disappeared from my screen, but in order to shine a light on the fact that the Ohio State Board does not want to hear discussion, does not want to hear criticism of um, critical race theory that is being forced on students K through 12 all over the state of Ohio, and that is very troubling to me. So your quote, and I think I actually did find it here, uh, your quote at the beginning of this U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio, Daniel Rheingold versus the Ohio State Board of Education, is this. Our board president has instituted a policy that prevents people from speaking to our group in reference to any of these issues about critical race theory, etc. I'm not sure why we have a filter on what we're allowed to hear here, but we do. So there was the quote I labored to get to. Now can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, uh, very simply, uh, the president has decided that anything to do with uh, uh, CRT or uh, 1619 uh, or, or anything really, I think, to put it uh, in the right mindset, anything that is critical of the anti-racism resolution that was passed, and I call it anti-racism, uh, the title on the resolution that was passed in July after 11 o'clock at night in a virtual meeting uh, without coming from a committee, coming from a member, uh, brought up a month before and passed, like I say, in a very late uh, hour, mm-hmm. uh, Resolution to condemn racism and advance equity and opportunity for black students, indigenous students, and students of color. Uh, it sounds uh, kind of innocuous and like a pleasant thing that you would want to help these students out. Uh, but if you read through the, the resolution, it has some very racist overtones to it. Uh, it states that all uh, students of color uh, are treated unfairly and, uh, and are put behind because of the, their color. Uh, that, of course, is not true. As, as this resolution was uh, brought up, one of the things I suggested was, uh, how about you put some? Because uh, some, some white children uh, have adverse situations that uh, puts them behind, some black children, some Asian children, some Hispanic children, etc. So then, of course, that makes this kind of a moot point, doesn't it? Because uh, not every student comes from the same situation. Not every student has the same kind of support from their parents and their grandparents. Uh, So we're not on a level playing field, and of course we never will be. Uh, And that's unfortunate, but that's not something that we fix uh, in the school. Uh, correct. That's, that, that's that not a school issue. Yeah, those, 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 um, 
you know shortcomings, if you will, or those challenges, or those those lack of lacks of, lacking of opportunities that you're talking about are not fixable by the board of education or by any teacher, by any principal, or any sort of policy. These are cultural and these are societal. And the bottom line is, and this is not something anybody takes pleasure in pointing out, but that over seventy, I think the last number I read in the, the latest study was seventy-two percent of black kids are born into and raised in single-parent households. And when you do not have two authority figures in the house, it is very difficult for kids to stay on task, for kids to do their homework, to ki- for kids to go to school. Uh, and it's also more difficult for kids, and no matter what color you are, if you don't have authority figures that you're used to obeying in the house because there isn't one there all the time, then you have a hard time obeying authority figures in school and then taking seriously the responsibilities and obligations and work that you have. That then leads to not really obeying or having respect for authority figures outside of the school in the world where the authority figures, for example, are police officers. All of this is a pattern, and they cannot fix this by just saying to other students, white students, stop being so unconsciously racist. Stop being so privileged because your 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 uh, students of color sitting next to you uh, don't have the same opportunities you do. It, it makes no sense, John. Well, it's interesting. You know, when I go back to uh, my history in high school, uh, the track coach and uh, his personal typing coach pulled me aside one day after he had seen uh, the results of the IQ test that was that were in the file, and he said, "Would you consider uh, being a teacher?" And I said, "To be honest with you, I think I would have a very hard time being patient with the students in the room that weren't interested in learning." And you know, one of the things that I've looked at uh, throughout my life, both in personal life and politics, is that uh, without discipline, uh, it's impossible to achieve goals. And I, I've always felt bad for teachers that had to deal with uh, students that were undisciplined. And, of course, as we've seen this all evolve, uh, corporal punishment has been done away with in probably 99% of the schools. Uh, and now we're talking about uh, pretty much no-fault uh, operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have children that, that are uh, coming to school and are able to disrespect all authority and each other, and you're trying to uh, put education across the board there, and it's, it's awful hard to do. Uh, this particular issue doesn't help that. In fact, you know what I stated in the meeting as, as the president uh, gets very emotional about these things, uh, uh, she she's bought into this uh, downtrodden and the uh, the division of our society between oppressors and oppressed, as if there's some kind of a uh, solid black line that says these people have it made and these people don't. Uh, it, it's it's a shame how people uh, can't look at the whole picture. What, what but, I wonder, uh, John, if I may interrupt for a second, because I want to give no, you, I want to give you some audio here to get you to respond to before our time is up. Sure. I wonder if she has bought fully into it, or if she knows the reality, but knows that because of the moment that we're in this this quote unquote moment of racial reckoning, because George Floyd died last year, and that's what this entire last twelve months have been. Now thirteen months have been. 
I wonder if she actually has bought into it or if she knows the reality but has to put on a different face publicly. And I ask that because of what we heard from the whistleblower in New York at Grace Church High School. Whistleblower Paul Rossi, former math professor or teacher rather, wrote an op-ed saying he will not sit by while his students are indoctrinated and his white kids are told that they're inherently evil and his black kids are told that you are forever perpetually a victim. And he had a conversation with the head of school, George Davison, about this and got George Davison to admit the following. Listen, if you would. Let me ask you something, George, because I think those are I think there's something very different about having a single experience where you make sense of it. Right. And having a teacher, an authority figure talk to you endlessly every year telling you that because you have whiteness, you are associated with evils, all these different evils. These are moral evils. It's not the same as taking like a physical thing because it doesn't affect your 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 moral value. That's the problem. The 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 fact is that I'm agreeing with you that there has been a demonization that we need to get our hands around in the way in which people are doing this understanding. Okay, so you agree that you we're demonizing kids? We're demonizing um, kid. We're, we're demonizing white people for being born. And, uh, and are some of our and students white people? Them. What are some of our students white people? Yes. Okay, so we're demonizing white. We're demonizing white kids. Why don't you just say it? We are. I, we are using language that makes them feel less than um, for nothing that they are personally responsible for. He went on to add on to that, uh, John Hagan Sr., uh, talking about how he knows full well that what they are doing is wrong, that it is demonizing white kids for being born, making them feel less than for nothing that they have done wrong. But his public persona is very different. Publicly, he says, this is important information, important lessons for children in order to advance equity and anti-racism and so on and so forth. So behind the scenes, he, he is admitting, yeah, this is garbage what we're doing to white kids. But publicly, he's going to keep doing it. I wonder if that's the same thing in Ohio. Uh, I, would, I would say no just from uh, personal interaction. Okay. Uh, in, in this situation, I... I'm not sure that uh, at this point our board uh, president has her own thoughts. Uh, I think that I think she's fully bought into this. Uh, When I watch the facial expressions uh, when this is discussed, uh, she's in pain. Um, I don't know, you know, what what uh, background situation makes her uh, so bought into this, but. the the uh, approach that's been used here has gotten to her, as it has to several other members, for that matter. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at this. Well, that uh, that's the most troubling the troubling thing that I've ever heard, John Hagen Senior. Because if educated people like this can be so quote unquote pained and buying into all of these these lies, this theory, then what is it doing to little kids with formative brains? You know, I mean, if they if 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 it can pierce the mind of an educated woman or a group of them, I mean, these kids have no shot at actually seeing life the way that it really is. They're always going to believe whiteness equals evil, black equals victims, and less than that. It's just impossible. Well, in in the you know the overall view of this, if you if you step back and try to look at it from a rational view, uh, Marx wrote the playbook in the eighteen hundreds. And if we look at this across the board, uh, when it comes to the police issues, 
uh, when it comes to all of these race issues, uh, this is the game plan. They're they're playing it. I mean, it's it, it's like following a uh, a manual. In uh, it, it's it's amazing to me that it got so far down the road without the average person recognizing what's going on. And of course, you know, this has been brewing in academia uh, probably for 50 years or more in this country. And we're to a point now where uh, there probably isn't a student that becomes a teacher that hasn't had this uh, anti-racism training. That's right. Uh, you know, to, to quote from the uh, resolution here that was passed in July, whereas separate but equal is no longer the law of the land, but systemic inequity in education has relegated millions of children of color to under-resourced struggling schools. That's one, one statement. Lies. Uh, yeah, so in the Be It Resolves, further resolved that the State Board of Education to offer training to board members to identify our own implicit biases so that we can perform our duties to the citizens of Ohio without racial bias. And Be It further resolved that the State Board of Education shall require training for all state employees and contractors working with the Department of Education to identify their own implicit biases so that they can perform their duties to the citizens of Ohio without unconscious racial bias. Now, you know, when this when this first came out, a friend of mine, actually the friend that asked me to run for uh, State Board of Education, Brian Williams, uh, who I'd served in the uh, legislature with, uh, stated very simply, um, when people elect people to a position, it's because of their beliefs and their background and their sometimes biases. Now, that doesn't mean that he's saying that racial bias is part of this. Of course. But the idea that, that we should be trained to look at our, our life differently than we have and not use our personal experience in our position as an elected official is asinine. But yet this is what this is put forward. And right. it goes on to say... Well, John, John, I've got to interrupt here because I'm way past our sure. time. Um, uh, but I do want to say we will be watching very closely this uh, lawsuit against the board and against the President, Laura Kohler, uh, specifically uh, by Daniel Re- uh, uh, Reginald, I guess is the pronunciation, uh, because this is extraordinarily important. Uh, if we are to fight this indoctrination and try to save the future generations that are in school right now, we absolutely must uh, win at this time. Uh, John Hagan, Sr., member of the Ohio State Board of Education, thanks for sitting in. And uh, your daughter does a great job. So did you. You guys should uh, toast to one another. Thank you. Uh, and, and with my thanks to both of you. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do to, to bring these things to people's uh, minds and, and bring it to life. I look forward, I look forward to talking. Term. Thank you. And I look forward to talking to you further about the very same. All right. 10.54. We've got to get out and come back in to wrap it up on AM 1420 The Answer. Well, well, well. Uh, I told you we were going to be a little bit packed today. I actually didn't give you as much time as I had hoped as far as uh, Free For All Friday phone calls. Uh, but let me see if we can squeeze one in here before we're done. Bruce is in Medina on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for your patience, Bruce. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Another great show as usual. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, 
I wanted to mention uh, tomorrow uh, on uh, Saturday morning at the Thirsty Cowboy Saloon, McFan is going to be meeting. They're bringing in Linda Walker, who is a sitting NRA board member. So it's really important that we show the NRA that we're supporting them and we expect them to support us. So that's the Thirsty Cowboy, and that's at uh, 2743 Medina Road in Medina, right off of 71. It's convenient. So hopefully we see you there. Also wanted to give you a quick update. A group of us went down on actually, Wednesday. Actually, Bruce, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to cut you on the first point because I don't have time for that. I'm going to get to the last couple of calls here. Thank you for the update on McFan. Love Medina County friends and neighbors. Give my best to Lisa and the entire crew there. Vince in Westlake. Vince, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. As yes, usual. sir. Um, great show. I uh, just wanted to follow up on something that you talked about a little bit earlier. A caller around the 10 o'clock hour was talking about the LeBron James fiasco. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I know you feel like what a lot of us feel is that, you know, if you say anything back, if you, you know, retaliate anyway or you know, voice your opinion, that's we'll be labeled a racist. Yes. Well, I, I'm at the point, I don't care anymore. I, I, I don't care. I don't care if I'm called a racist. I don't care if I'm, you know, whatever they want to call me. If we don't start fighting back en masse, with this and calling these people out and demanding that our political leaders call these people out, it's over. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be over there. Well, you That's know what? We were, you know, I, th- I think you make a great point. We are already being, thanks for the call, Vince. We are already being called racist for doing anything and everything that we do. Uh, and, uh, so if, the, if that's going to be the default position that all white people are inherently racist and inherently white supremacist, then you might as well get your money's worth and say what needs to be said, right? Uh, Jan and Brexville. Jan, I've got 40 seconds. Go ahead. Uh, Bob, I tuned in late and just heard you talking with John Hagan from the State Board of Education about a lawsuit against Laura Kohler. What's that? I, I'd like to hear more about that, and is there anything we can do to... Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, the, the date on it was the 19th, so it's just four days old, but it was uh, a lawsuit filed basically against the Board of Education trying to stop them from forcing in the indoctrination of uh, critical race theory and the 1619 Project. I'll have more a on plus. that. I promise a you plus. on Monday. Thank, thank you for thank the call. You. I appreciate it. I'll have more on that lawsuit on Monday. I'll make a point of it. In fact, I'll jot it down right now. Uh, until then, everyone have a great weekend. Uh, rest up a little bit. We still have a country to save, as my friend Larry Elder says. We'll get back to it on Monday. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.